you will open your Bibles to John chapter 12 this morning, we begin this 12th chapter out of 21 chapters in John's Gospel. So we're more than halfway through with the Gospel. But if you were to look at the timeline of Jesus' life, we are far beyond the halfway point now. We begin chapter 12, and we're within a week of Jesus' death. And so we have, uh, in this last half of the Gospel, so much uh, teaching from the Lord Jesus, rich teaching left to cover about the Holy Spirit who will come when Jesus uh, departs. Uh, We have his high priestly prayer in John 17, uh, teaching us so much about our unity with him and with one another. Today, we're going to look at the topic of generosity extreme generosity. And so I want to explore that topic at length. We'll find out that generosity has both a fuel and an enemy. And we're going to seek to determine how you and I might become more generous people, how we might live more generous lives. So we're just going to dig right in. I want you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you. But you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray again. Oh Lord, there's a lot here in these verses. As we focus on this topic of generosity and both what helps generosity along and what hinders it, would your Holy Spirit reveal to each of us what it is that you want to show us this morning? How you want to reveal in a deeper way the generosity of Jesus as he's been so generous with us? as you want to grow in us more of the grace of generosity, that others might be blessed, that your kingdom might be advanced. Lord, only you know exactly what it is that each one of us present this morning need to to hear, how we need to be changed, how we need to be challenged. So come and do what only you can do in the power that only you have for the glory that only you deserve. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
So Mary's incredibly generous act, anointing Jesus as she does, is the centerpiece here. But before we dive in too deeply to the topic of generosity, I want to do a bit of housekeeping. Some nuts and bolts to deal with. And I always debate whether or not to bring up problems that we might come across in text or not. I don't want to plant seeds of doubt in your mind and and bring up questions that you don't have. But many of you do have. Many of you read carefully and and, uh, and intelligently, and you come and you say, well, I've got questions because this over here looks like this, but this over here looks like this. So I want to address uh, several things um, about the anointings of Jesus. Because if you do read carefully, if you read all four Gospels, you find multiple accounts of Jesus being anointed. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 have a really similar account of Jesus being anointed, but those are placed right after the triumphal entry, and this one that we're looking at today comes immediately before. Luke, in chapter 7, has what seems to be an altogether different event. Uh, This is the woman of the city, a known sinner, and when she comes and anoints Jesus, the Pharisees who are present at the dinner are just indignant. And so it would seem to be that there are at least two different anointings, Matthew, Mark, and then the one in Luke. But what about what we see here in John? Is this a third? I say probably not. I think it's probably the same event that Matthew and Mark recount. But John's got a very different perspective on it. It's pretty clear that this event happened right around the triumphal entry. Now, you need to remember that none of the gospel writers is writing an exhaustive, blow-by-blow, day-by-day account of every single thing that Jesus did in the exact order that he did. Right? They skip a lot of things. Uh, sometimes they group things differently. They, they don't present their material in a nice linear timeline fashion, and that makes some of us Western types crazy. Sticklers for time sensitivity that we are. Another difference in the details, if you read carefully, is location. Matthew and Mark say this thing happened at Simon the leper's house. And when we just quickly read John's account, we think, oh, this must have happened at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. But it doesn't say that. It just says that they gave him a dinner, and so we think reasonably that that's Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their family. They gave him a dinner there, somewhere in Bethany. Maybe it was indeed at some guy named Simon's house, but they were the hosts. John points out that Lazarus was one of the ones there, so it would almost be kind of redundant if it was at his house and John points out that Lazarus was there. I I don't know. Um, Another detail, if you're paying really close attention and you've got some questions, Matthew and Mark both say that she poured the ointment on his head. But John recounts how it was his feet that were anointed. And I can kind of see how John would want to focus on his feet in chapter 12, thinking about what he's going to get to in chapter 13, where Jesus is washing 
everybody's feet. He's got a focus there on the feet that seems pretty natural. But it's not unreasonable to think that if perhaps she started pouring on his head, she might not have continued going down over his whole body. And when we consider both what a large quantity this was, and she poured the whole thing out, and the symbolism of this act, which we're going to get to later, then it, it really is quite plausible that we're dealing with head to toe. Now, what I want you to do is read the account on your own for yourself and draw your own Holy Spirit-guided conclusions on these things. But I don't think that any of them are, are big deals that should cause us a great deal of concern or doubt. So, as far as I'm concerned, Matthew, Mark, and John are all the same event, told with varying perspectives. The one in Luke is pretty clearly different. Now, generosity. Let's dive deeply into the topic of the day. There's an outline in your worship folder to continue to follow along, hopefully. We're going to look at Mary's generosity, make several observations about it. We're going to consider our own generosity. And then we'll talk what's the fuel, what's the enemy, and practically speaking, how do you and I become more generous? So let's start by asking the question, what would have been normal for Mary to do? What would have been expected? What would have been nice if she had done it? Well, giving Jesus the dinner, and it may even be a really nice banquet. It mentions their reclining at table. That's more of a formal affair. That's certainly a nice gesture on her part. If Jesus had arrived and she had directed one of the servants to wash his feet, well, that would have been nice. That would have been expected. If she even took a little ointment or perfume and dabbed a little bit on his forehead as a way of refreshing after his travels, that would have been nice. That would have been customary. Jesus might have thought, the onlookers might have thought, gosh, Mary's a great hostess. She's doing all the things that you would expect a great hostess to do. But instead we have verse 3. Where it's not what is expected. It's not just something, oh, that's nice. No, what she does is a shock to everyone there. Maybe not Jesus, but everyone else. She takes a pound of not just any ointment, but expensive ointment. Nard, it says, that's grown in the mountains of northern India. It didn't come from her backyard there in Bethany. It's pure. It's not diluted. It's so strong, it fills the house with its aroma. I don't know if you've ever broken a bottle of perfume or spilled some kind of essential oil or something, right? but it's overwhelming. Later, when Judas is complaining about all this in verse 5, we could have gotten 300 denarii if we sold this. So one denarius is a day's wage for a common laborer. So a year's salary. 
for a fully employed laborer. So, you know, in our terms, let's say you've got a fairly inexpensive day laborer, right? Ten bucks an hour. Works all year long. It's $20,000. She poured out $20,000 of perfume in seconds and it's gone. That's not just generous. That's that's something extreme. It's lavish. It's opulent. It's also a great sacrifice. She's never going to get this stuff back, right? She pours it out and it's gone. Done. And then when you layer on this element, I don't know if you thought about this, that she is humiliating herself in this act. Remember, it's customary to anoint the head, right? Just a little, a little dabble do you. But in a double humiliation to herself, she anoints his feet, and only a servant would dare touch or wash someone's feet, let alone anoint them. But she also lets down her hair to wipe his feet off. For a woman to take down her hair in the presence of any man, not her husband, is forbidden. She's humiliating herself, even in her generosity. Sometimes, if we're honest, we might possibly, some of us, engage in acts of generosity because of how it might look in front of others. Because of what others might think about us. Mary's not doing this because of what people will think. She's doing it in spite of what people will think. Here's another interesting observation about her generosity. Her her extremely generous act. Her willingness to sacrifice this expensive, treasured object in adoration and worship worship of Jesus. This act was used by God to accomplish something far greater than she could ever intend or realize. She had no idea what this ultimately meant. It's very interesting coming on the heels of of Caiaphas' prophecy last week. His unintentional prophecy. He opened his mouth to spew blasphemous words about murdering Jesus. And he said last week in the text in chapter 11, it's better for one man to die for the people. He had no clue. Certainly no intention that he was articulating the very heart of the gospel. That one man should die for many. That one man's life should be substituted in the place of many. But by God's sovereignty, that's exactly what he did. And by God's sovereignty, that's something very similar to what Mary is doing now. She had no idea that God would use her generosity, her spontaneous act of adoration and worship to help prepare Jesus for his burial. To anoint him as the king that he is and to prepare him for his burial just a week later. But that's what's going on here. 
She's anointing him. She thinks she's just anointing him kind of in the common way that you, you would do someone who is of high honor, someone who is of royal birth or has a position like a king does. But you see, it's also quite common to anoint a corpse with copious amounts of perfume to try to mask the smell of rot and decay. And when Jesus defends Mary against Judas' attack, verse 7, that's exactly how he understands it. It's worded a bit awkwardly that, that she kept it. She, she didn't keep it. She just used it. She just poured it out. But she has obviously used it for this purpose in advance. And so my question for you in light of what happened with Mary is, what if, what if God might be pleased to use some act of generosity of yours? You might think it's really small. You might think, hey, this is a big deal. This is a grand gesture that I'm doing. But what if God were to use it for something far greater than you could have ever imagined? What if some sacrifice you make or some gift that you give is blessed by the Lord to do something huge in his kingdom? So let's go ahead and ask the real personal question here. And make a bit of application, though there's more coming at the end. What about our generosity today? What, what would it look like if we were to have extreme generosity toward Jesus like Mary did? It's obviously going to be a little different because he's not physically here with us like he was with Mary that day. He's not bodily present. So we can't anoint him with $20,000 worth of perfume. We can't adore and worship him in exactly the same way that Mary did. But what can we do? I want to suggest that you think about something. This is by no means the only thing that you could think about. It is just one thing, but I do want you to think about it. Mary's extreme generosity was worship. It was adoration. We can't do it in the exact the same way. But what if our generosity, what if, what if our generosity could help others in their worship and adoration of Jesus? What if it might either encourage people to continue worshiping and adoring Jesus? Or what if it might lead some folks for the very first time to worship? And adore. I want you to think about your faith promise in light of what we see here with Mary. See, there were customary, there were ordinary things she could have done to welcome and to honor Jesus, but she did something more. She did something extraordinary, over the top. And that's one way of looking at faith promise giving. Here at Trinity, we support missions and outreach a lot. For a church of our size, y'all, it's amazing that we are able, by God's grace, to send 37 or 38 cents of every dollar that comes in right back out the door. That's awesome. 
for our ministry partners. We're praying for them each week, uh, for ministries, for outreach. And so part of that effort is funded through the general budget. Your regular giving of tithes and, and offerings each week, a percentage is taken right off the top of that, and that begins to fund all those efforts. But the rest of those costs are covered by your faith promise pledges and giving that is over and above. It's beyond the general fund giving. See, that's not just a little dab of ointment on Jesus' head, right? That's pouring out the whole bottle, right? There's expected, there's ordinary, and then there is extra ordinary. Would you think about and pray about your faith promise this year with that mindset? Thinking about Mary, thinking about her extreme generosity as you and I consider our own. I I hope that you'll continue to give and to give generously to our general fund that will support the day-to-day operations and will begin to fund all those ministry and outreach efforts. But I hope that you'll also consider a more extravagant expression of your adoration and worship of Jesus. All right. Generosity has a fuel. Generosity has something that will get it going and keep it going. What could have possibly motivated Mary to do what she did? What could make her not just willing to anoint Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair, but make her happy to do it? Make her joyful in doing it. How about the fact that the brother she loved, the brother who was recently rotting in a tomb, was there at the table with Jesus? Gratitude is the fuel of generosity. Mary would have done anything for Jesus to express her gratitude for bringing her brother back. See, here's how it works. We are generous with those who have been oh so generous with us. When we realize how someone else has been extravagantly generous with us, how can we not respond in kind? It's just natural. It's just a reflex We almost don't even have to think about it if if we grasp how generous someone has been with us. Gratitude is the fuel of generosity, but unfortunately generosity also has a great enemy, and that's greed. And I want to give I want to give greed a couple of other names too. Um, I think about it a lot in terms of idolatry. Greed is idolatry. It's the worship of of something other than God. It is uh, where something, even a good thing, has an inordinate sense of of importance in our lives. Um, But 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 a third way, maybe even better, would be hunger. Right? Um, 
What is it that you so desperately want, that you so desperately have to have, or maybe that you already have, but you're so desperately trying to keep it because if you lost it, then that would be the end of the world for you? We've got two tragic examples of of this greed, of this idolatry, of this hunger here that are in stark contrast to Mary's extreme generosity. You see, Judas is outraged at this waste of money. And John right away tells us in verse 6 what's going on inside his heart, and it's not pretty. He's a man consumed by greed, by idolatry, by a hunger for wealth and material possessions, not unlike many of us. Why are we not more generous? Why are we not generous like Mary? Oftentimes it's because of our hunger for more stuff. For a bank account balance that's at a certain point and drops no lower. You know, Judas presents a real noble reason. He's got a pious reason. What about the poor? And Jesus' response in verse 8 is very interesting, and I wish we had more time. If Jesus were a mere man, the way he responds in verse 8 would be horribly arrogant. The proud you will always have with you, you won't always have me. In the interest of time, let me give you a, a principle that I think is at work here. It's not, please don't read this or hear this and think that ministry to the poor is unimportant. Jesus is not anti-ministry to the poor. That's not what's at work here. But here's what is at work. Adoration and worship of Jesus should be the overriding and guiding goal as we minister to the poor. See, we're not seeking to alleviate poverty for poverty's sake. That would be a lost cause anyway. Jesus just said, the poor, you're always going to have them with you. This is a problem you will not fix. Right? No, we alleviate poverty because it's a hindrance to the gospel. We alleviate poverty because it's a barrier to belief in the gospel. People can't hear the gospel you're preaching over the growl of their stomachs. That's why we do something about poverty. But alleviating poverty should always be a means toward that end. Toward the end of worship and adoration of Jesus. And that's not what Judas is really concerned about. He's consumed with greed, with his hunger. So much so that when he is rebuked by Jesus, the other gospel writers connect the dots very directly for us. That's the moment that Judas says, I'm betraying this dude. That sets it in motion for him. Jesus has threatened his idol of wealth and possessing, and now Jesus must go. It's very similar to what we saw with the religious leaders last week. Jesus threatened their idols of status and position, and now he must go. 
And they're just as consumed by their hunger and idolatry as Judas was. And it's making them mad. (laughs) Not angry mad, crazy mad. Verses 9 through 11. Um, Raising Lazarus from the dead has had a big effect on folks. Many of them are defecting. It says in verse 11, they're going away from the traditional religion of the religious leaders and they're believing in Jesus. More loss of power and prestige for these religious leaders. And this cannot be. So they amend their previous plan. Verse 10 says, let's kill Lazarus too. How mad is that? Let's kill someone who was just obviously raised from the dead by divine power. Surely that'll work. They've lost their minds. Greed, hunger is the enemy of generosity. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? It's easy to look at a story like this and say, all right, this is pretty easy. The moral of the story is Mary's good, Judas is bad, and therefore we need to be good. You know, that's how a lot of people read the Bible. Right? Be like the good guys. Try to not be like the bad guys. That's not how it works. That is not the path toward becoming more generous people. How can we become more generous? I want to suggest three things. Pretty practical. Number one, start by admitting that it's hard. Start by telling Jesus, you don't want to be generous. I want to keep it all. I want to buy all the stuff. I want to go all the places. Confess your greed. Confess your hunger. Confess to God those things that pop up into your mind, those reasons, those excuses of why you can't be generous, of why you can't give. If I did this, then I wouldn't be able to have this. Confess that. Confess whatever you just filled in the blank with. Confess that to the Lord. Ask for grace to change your heart. To make you hunger for the adoration and worship of Jesus more than whatever was in your blank. So start by confessing just how hard it is. Beg for help. Second thing, engage your heart and your mind in some purposeful gratitude. Remember, that's the fuel So make a list of everything that he's given you. Count all those blessings. Realize how extremely, extravagantly generous God has been with you, especially through the Lord Jesus. And the third thing would be to remind yourself and to keep reminding yourself and in community to remind those around you of how generous he's been. Can I tell you just how generous he's he's been to me? Can I share that with you? Can I encourage you with that? How's he been generous with you? Encourage me back. 
Remind yourself, remind each other over and over and over again. We've got a very generous God. A God who was willing to not even spare his own son, but to give him up for us all. See, we have to feed our gratitude. We have to feed our gratitude in order to starve our greed and our hunger. This meal that we're about to share is going to help us do that. It it will help feed our gratitude even as we come to this table. Father, prepare our hearts now. Make them hungry for you. Make them hungry for more of Jesus and less of the stuff that doesn't satisfy anyway. Make us grateful for how extravagantly generous Jesus was and is with us. Oh, help us to see it clearly. Help our hearts to just cling to that truth. To meditate upon that truth. To simmer in that truth day by day, week by week. Help us to remind ourselves and each other. Pointing always to Jesus' generosity with us that would result in in our adoration and and worship. And maybe even through our generosity, Lord, if you would bless it, it would result in the worship and adoration of others as well. We ask it in Jesus' name.